Praise God. It's so good to be in the house of the Lord together today. Man, I got to tell you, with all that's gone on this week, with all the, the chaos even in our nation, I was looking forward to this time when we as the body of Christ get to come together and, and to fix our eyes on Jesus. I got to say this morning, I really don't feel like it's my place here from this platform to make a political statement. I believe that my calling is to teach from the Word of God, and I pray that as you hear the Word of God this morning, amen, that the Word of God would inform your theology, amen? The Word of God would inform your theology, and that you would live according to the Word of God, that it would change you. See, here's one thing that I do know this morning. I know this, that God is humbling our nation. He's humbling our nation. He, he, he ought to be bringing us especially as the church to our knees. And so a couple words of encouragement this morning, if I can, family. We are the family of God. And so in your interaction with others, please use grace. Amen? Come on. Please use grace. Let's not be divided and attacking one another within this body. There's enough division out there. Let's come together around the gospel of Jesus Christ. I can tell you this morning that that is our only hope. It, it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I want to warn you this morning against something. We were here yesterday. We had a tremendous gathering, over 70 of us from our worship teams and our tech teams that were here yesterday, uh, just learning together, growing together. But even as I was praying and I was sitting here, I said, Lord, what do you want me to say? And here's the warning that I feel like God has given me, but I want to share it with you this morning. Be careful of political idolatry. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean, be careful when you try to set up any ruler or king or authority or authorities as if they are your savior, okay? Jesus is our savior. The gospel is our hope, amen? And so let's come together in this time. Let's not divide. Let's come together around the gospel and encourage one another, amen? We, we are in a series on uh, spiritual disciplines, and I don't think it's any coincidence that God led us to go this way knowing the season that we're going to walk into. Now what are spiritual disciplines? They are simply this. They are a means of God's grace to shape us into the men and women that God desires us to be. According to Richard Foster in his book Celebration of Discipline, he says there are 12 spiritual disciplines. Four of them fall into the category of being inward disciplines. They are meditation, prayer, fasting, and the study of God's word. Those are the inward disciplines. Now, according to God's word, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we are justified because of the work of the cross. And yet we realize today, if we're honest with ourselves, that we're not yet who God desires us to be. We need to grow in the things of the Lord. And so there is a process that takes place in our lives. It's known as sanctification. Sanctification is a process that begins on the, the day you're saved and doesn't end until you go to glory, right? God continues to work in us. And so really, the spiritual disciplines, they are a means that God uses to sanctify us. If you want to grow spiritually in 2021, if you want to be able to discern what is really happening in this time and this season, then these are not just things to consider, but things to put into practice. Now, don't get it confused today. These things do not justify us. Fasting, prayer, Bible reading, right? Those things don't save you. If they did, it would be works righteousness. No, these things are a means of sanctification. Again, God invites us 
into these spiritual disciplines, and, and those spiritual disciplines really form, uh, take the form of God's grace of inviting us into an interactive relationship. These disciplines place us before God as a living sacrifice, and in turn, God uses our actions to build within us righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so last week, we talked about the benefits of, I hope you, come on, were you here last week? We talked about fasting, right? And and I pray some of you took the opportunity this last week to fast. Maybe you're fasting in some way this month. But I would encourage you, make that a regular part of your spiritual life, to set aside time to fast, to be in the Word, and to hear from God. But today I want to focus on the spiritual discipline of meditation. Now, most Christians have listened again and again to admonitions that they need to read the Bible, and yet, according to statistics, less than one-fifth of American believers read the Scripture on a daily basis. Now, if spending time in God's Word is really that important for spiritual growth, why aren't more people doing it? Why does Bible reading sometimes feel like drudgery, right? I I gotta read again. How is it that when we do read, we often come away feeling just as spiritually cold as when we started? I'm convinced that the major reason for this is that we have forgotten how to meditate on the Word of God. The Puritan pastor, Thomas Watson, he spoke of this when he said, the reason we come away so cold from reading the word is because we do not warm ourselves at the fire of meditation. That's what I want to talk about this morning, the fire of meditation. Meditation as a a Christian discipline has been largely forgotten by the modern evangelical church. And so when we hear that word, we oftentimes think of Eastern religious practices, right? Where the mind is emptied. We think of legs crossed and this posture, right? That's where our mind goes. But I want to tell you this morning, biblical meditation is so much different. In biblical meditation, instead of emptying the mind, the believer fills his or her mind with thoughts of God and ideas about his word. This type of meditation is spoken of and practiced in many places in the Bible, and it is a wonderful and necessary means for spiritual growth. Now, there are two Hebrew words translated as meditation in the Old Testament. The most common is haggah, and it means to murmur or to mutter, okay? And and the, the other word is siach. It means to ponder or to utter or to talk to oneself. I always say, no one has more influence in your life than you do because no one talks to you more than you do, right? And so when we talk to ourselves, what are the things that we are saying? Are we repeating the words of God and the truths of Scripture? And so biblical meditation, it really involves this, focusing your mind on Scripture, on the attributes of God, and speaking those things over and over again to yourself. But hear me, meditation is different than prayer because with meditation, we're not really talking to God, but rather we are reflecting on who he is. And meditation involves the word of God. It's not the same as studying the Bible. You you can say that meditation is to the word of God what digestion is to food. What do I mean? Well, food is of little value unless we digest it, right? I mean, it's delicious, but it's of little value to our bodies unless we digest it. Doctors tell us that the digestion process that takes place after we swallow the food 
is not enough to process our food completely. If you want the maximum nutritional benefits, you need to chew the food first, right? I want to tell you, church, we need to chew on the Word of God. We need to to ponder the Scripture in an effort to understand it and consider it and then apply it to our lives in order for it to have a real and lasting benefit to us. Spurgeon called this process, he said, it is the machine in which the raw material of knowledge is converted to its best use. I love what Spurgeon says here. Because he points to people who read the Bible and can even recite it, but they really know nothing of its power. And he says this is because they fail to convert it to a useful state. Listen to what he says. He said, he says, instead of putting facts into the wine press of meditation and fermenting them until they can draw out inferences, they leave them to rot and perish. They extract none of the sweet juice of wisdom from the fre- precious fruits of the vine tree. A man who reads only a tenth part as much, but who takes the grapes of Eskel. Where is that? That was the valley where the spies gathered the grapes, right? He says, if he takes the grapes of Eskel that he gathers and he squeezes them by meditation, he will learn more in a week than your pendant will learn in a year because he muses on what he reads. He's saying he thinks on what he reads. He ponders it. He says, man, how do I apply this in my life? You see, the believer who practices Biblical meditation not only learns more, but I believe this will also see the joy return to Bible reading, right? So often we read our Bibles in a, in a legalistic way, right? Thinking uh, that Scripture and reading Scripture is an indication of our holiness. Like, man, no wonder it becomes drudgery, right? Because all works of flesh become drudgery. But Bible reading is not synonymous with holiness. It is a means to holiness. Just because you read your Bible doesn't mean you're holy, but if you do read the Bible and you take it in and you meditate on it, it can change you and make you more holy. Now, now let me explain this. If I want to go to church, I don't just stay inside my house and hope that the pastor will show up. Well, now I do sometimes, right? But I, I usually have to go to wherever the meeting is being held. And I want to tell you this morning, it's no different with God. If I want to grow spiritually, I must go where God is. And where can I find God? It's in his word. I find him in his word, amen? I find him in his word. I find him through meditation. I find him in prayer. And so the act of going to the word is not what makes me holy, though as I get into the word, it makes changes in my life because I put myself in a position to receive from God. Meditation can be seen as a, sort of conduit for receiving from God and being changed into his holiness. Some people discover this truth on their own while others need to be instructed. Early churchmen broke the process into some formal steps. They called uh, their system, they called it Lectio Divina. It included four steps. It's reading the scripture, it's meditating on it, it's praying it, and then contemplating how to uh, apply it to your life. But very simply, I want you to understand this. When we talk about meditation, it gives us the ability to hear God's voice and to obey his word. It's that simple. I wish I could make it more complicated. Some of you like complicated things, but it's not that complicated. And here's the reality this morning. The God of the universe, the one who created all things, he desires fellowship with you and me. It was in the Garden of Eden that Adam and Eve, they walked 
during the cool of the day, cool of the morning with God, and they talked with him, right? They, they communed with him. But the fall disrupted this communion, and it caused Adam and Eve to hide from God. But the story of Scripture is the story of God continuing to reach out to rebellious children. God continues to speak today. He continues to act. He continues to teach and to guide his people. Thomas A. Kempis calls meditation, I love this, he says it is a familiar friendship with God. Listen, church, if we want to move past the superficialities of our culture, we need to be willing to go down into that place of silence and contemplation and meditation in the Word of God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it this way, just as you do not analyze the words of someone you love, but you accept them as they are said to you, Accept the word of Scripture and ponder it in your heart as Mary did. That is all. That is meditation. The the discipline of meditation was clearly familiar to the authors of Scripture. The word of God uses two different Hebrew words, again, to convey this idea, and they're used more than 58 times in the Old Testament. But in every one of these cases, the focus is changed behavior because of an encounter with the living God. For our country, again, this week was, man, it was a lot of finger pointing, right? It was, look at what they did, and look at what they did, and look at what they did. But but when we have a biblical understanding of meditation and we get into the Word, man, we know that repentance and obedience is necessary on our part as well, right? It ought to cause us to, to look in and say, God, search me and know me. God created me a clean heart. Change me, right? Now, I want to turn to a psalm this morning, Psalm chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, you can pull this out, open it up. Psalm chapter 1. I love this psalm because it was one of my father's favorite psalms. It's one that he had me memorize as a kid and had all my kids memorize. They got paid a lot more than I did for learning it. But it's a great psalm to know and to memorize. I encourage you to memorize only six verses. But it talks about the way of the righteous and the wicked. Verse 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he what? Say it again. He meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. But the wicked are not so. But they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So the psalmist says here that there is blessing and there is delight that comes from meditating on the word of God day and night. The psalm begins with blessed is the man. Doesn't that just like draw you in, right? Of course it does because we all want blessing in our life, right? And and blessing, understand this, is more than just happiness. It means so much more than that. It is rooted in a moral and a mental and a physical well-being. But how do we become that blessed person, that blessed individual. Well, notice in this psalm, the the blessed person is one who does not do certain things and he does something else instead. Right away, you expect this description of the person who is blessed, but the first thing the psalmist describes is, is that that is not true of the blessed person. 
He says it describes the wicked person, first of all. The way of the wicked person is described in three parables. Walks, stands, sits. Counsel, way, seat. Wicked, sinners, scoffers. And don't miss the downward progression here, right? First the person walks, and then he stands around a little while, and finally he sits down. You see, the wicked model their actions on the advice of other wicked people, and then they begin to linger in the company of those people, and finally they remain permanently among people who are cynical and even openly scoff at God himself. Sadly, today we hear more and more about, especially young people who grew up in evangelical churches who are deconstructing their faith, right? The things in the Bible about God, about Jesus, about atonement, about faith are being questioned and rejected. Listen, today I I believe that there is truth and there is error. There, There is that which is true and that which is false. But here's the thing, when you experience doubt in your life, we all walk through seasons of doubt. I encourage you, take your questions to mature Christians who can help you find the answers, okay? Don't seek counsel from non-Christians for answers that can only be found in the Word of God. But but what does this blessed person do? Look at verse 2. It says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The psalmist is saying there, instead of finding pleasure in the ways of the world, instead of finding pleasure in fellowship with the wicked, the one who is truly blessed finds his pleasure in a different place. He or she finds pleasure in meditating on the word of God. Literally there he says the law, meditating on the law. What is that? Well, it's the Torah. It's the instructions. It's God's word about God's ways. And so the psalmist is saying, when you meditate like that, when you don't just read the word of God, but you experience the word of God, it becomes so satisfying that it actually captures your heart and your mind, and you think on it day and night. And as the word of God does that, all of a sudden it begins to pull you away from all that ungodly counsel that used to run your life, right? It pulls you away from the path and the seat of the world. You see, when you don't just read the word, but you meditate on the word and you experience the word of God, you will find blessing. And so in verse three, the psalmist says, this is what, if this is what you do, here is what you will be like. Verse three, he says this, he is like a tree that's planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The psalmist is picturing, and maybe you can picture it this morning, a tree in a hot, dry land. And it's planted by a stream, and its roots go down deep, and they draw this life-giving water from that stream, and so it flourishes. Think about a tree in the midst of an oasis. But know this today, the tree does not exist for its own sake. It exists to provide fruit. This is what makes the tree a blessing. And the psalmist's point, I think, is this, that we do not simply live to take in God's word for ourselves. We take in God's word so that our lives can be a blessing to others. Think about what's described here. The the first is that you're planted. I love that idea of being planted or or being rooted. And the the deeper your roots go, the stronger your foundation. Now, what's the purpose of the roots? Well, the roots go out to find water, right? 
but, but if you're planted by a stream, you don't have to search very far, right? Because you're by a stream of water. Listen to me today, church. There is refreshing that can come into your life as you meditate on the Word of God. There is a stream of water, of living water in God's Word that can refresh your soul. And so if you delight in the Word of God, if you meditate on it, you are like a tree planted by a stream of water that is going to yield its fruit in its season. Very simply, you will be a fruitful person. Oh, how we need more fruitful people around us, don't we? What is a fruitful person? To me, it's someone, you might even think of some person that comes to mind right now, but it's those people who, when you're around them, you feel refreshed, right? Like when you're in your presence, their presence, you feel like you receive something. When you spend time with fruitful people, you don't go away feeling hungry. You go away feeling fed and strengthened, right? We all want to be around fruitful people because the things that they say, they speak life. They speak encouragement. I mean, it may be convicting and yet healing at the same time, right? It, it can be encouraging to our hearts. We all love to be around fruitful people. Oh, that we would be fruitful people. And the psalmist says this is one of the things that will happen if you meditate on the Word of God. Like if you make it a priority not just to read it but to contemplate it and to think on it and apply it to your life, you will yield fruit in season. But look at the second blessing of delighting in the Word of God and meditating on it day and night. He says this person is like a tree that's leaf does not wither. What he is saying is that when the hot winds begin to blow and the drought comes and all the other trees that aren't planted by the stream begin to die around you, that in that moment, in the midst of all of the heat and all of the drought, in the midst of a pandemic, your leave remains green. Amen? Again, because meditating on the Word of God is like being planted by a stream. And so the blessings that you know, they're not taken away very easily. They are lasting and they are deep because they don't depend on which way the wind is blowing. They don't even depend, dare I say, on who is in the White House. They, depend, they don't depend on when the rain seems to be falling or not. When you are planted by the stream, you get your life and your sustenance from something that does not change. It is the word of God. That ought to be our source, church. I'll tell you what, in a society that seems to be constantly changing, I'm so thankful that our thinking does not need to change with popular opinion. Right? Because our thinking comes from a changeless source. It is God in his word, and that word does not change. Amen? Come on, somebody say amen this morning. That word does not change. And so we can stand on it this morning, church. You, you see, the one who delights in the word of God, who meditates on it day and night, can say like the prophet Habakkuk did. He said, though the fig tree does not bud, and though there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crops fail and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Listen, with all that's taking place in the world around us, I, I think there are more and more people who are, who are beginning to prepare for what's happening. I don't know if, if you've heard of these people called preppers, right? Some of you maybe are that, right? You're, you're preparing in a way because, man, if things go bad, I've got to have all the groceries, I've got to have the, the cabinets stocked, and, and sometimes, you know what, that seems to make sense to me. Uh, sometimes I feel like there's good value to that. But hear me today. Your greatest need when the trials and tribulations of life come, is, is not a stocked pantry, 
but it is a heart that is stocked with the Word of God. It's a heart that's stocked with the Word of God. So, so what are you placing within your heart today? Because a, a life that is fruitful, a life that is flourishing, a life that is life-giving does not come by seeking the things that the world seeks. It comes only by delighting in the Word of God and meditating on it day and night. You, you see what the world needs, church, is, is a fruitful people. The world needs a fruitful church. And, and meditating on the word of God allows you to be rooted by a stream of water and that fact will yield fruit in your life and make you fruitful and your leaf will not wither. In other words, you can weather the difficult times of life. But finally, the psalmist says this, in all that he does, he prospers. Amen. Wow. Look at that and say, Pastor, what does that mean? It sounds a little bit like the prosperity gospel, right? Does that mean that I, if I delight in the Word of God and I, I meditate on it and I think on it, then my business is going to be more profitable? Does it mean your, your, your health will always be good and, and that no bad thing will ever come your way? Well, here's the thing. I, I believe in one sense that we do see many of those blessings in our lives when we meditate on the Word of God. Because if I'm meditating on the Word rather than the counsel of the wicked then I'm going to be doing the kinds of things that God approves of. And yes, God is much more likely to bless what he approves of. I also know this, that if you're delighting in the word of God, it means that you're trusting in him today. And we know that God works for those who trust in him and wait on him. And yet there are many passages of scripture that tell us we're going to have to still deal with affliction. Psalm 34, 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Put that on a coffee mug, right? Psalm 73, the psalmist expresses this frustration that often, man, it's, it's, it's the righteous who suffer and the wicked prosper. But today you have to understand what becomes of the wicked in the end. If we go back to Psalm 1, there's this great contrast between the one who's meditating on the law and the wicked. The wicked are, are not fruitful, they are not durable, they are not prospering in everything. Even when it looks like it, they're not prospering in everything. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. And the psalmist says, therefore, in, in other words, because of this, the wicked will not stand in judgment. There are sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Then hear this, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. When the psalmist reflects on the value of either delighting in the word of God or living a, a wicked life, ultimately it's measured by what happens at the judgment. He's not denying that there may be some prosperity in the life of the wicked right now, but what he's saying is in the end they're going to be swept away like chaff. But those who meditate on the word of God will continue to flourish because God's blessing and favor is on them. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. Don't you love that? He's aware of you this morning. He knows what's happening in your life. He, he's aware of the way of the righteous. And so the blessing for the man there in verse 1 is a life that is fruitful for others. It's a life that can withstand the drought. It's a life that succeeds in God's purposes for eternity. And so if you put all that together, here's what we really see. The blessing of meditating, the blessing of meditating on the word of God day and night. Church, we need to be those people who would meditate on the word of God day and night. What does that mean? It means that you speak the word of God to yourself. That, that you repeat it day after day. That you hide it in your heart. 
What does it look like to live in fellowship with God himself? It means he's constantly speaking to you through his word, through scriptures that you've memorized, through application of the word, through through you speaking it to him and and his response to you. It's through thanksgiving and praise. And and through all that, he helps us and he guides us. And so the word of God becomes the basis for you hearing him. And as you respond to it, I want to tell you today, he hears you. He hears you. He hears you. But, but, but what about this idea of delight? Because one of the marks of this blessed person is not just that he meditates on the word of God, but rather that he delights in it. In other words, for you and I, man, reading scripture and thinking on it, it should never be a burden like, man, I got to do this again today. No, no, it's an opportunity. You see, I think it's a lot like fasting. When we fast, so often we think about what we're giving up, right? But not what we're gaining. And that's why I said last week, man, it's like fasting is really like passing by the salad and the appetizers and going to the main course. Remember that from last week? Fasting is what? It's feasting on God. And when you begin to understand that, all of a sudden you delight in that. And so what do we do when we don't delight in the word of God? That's a good question, right? What do we do when, when we approach it and it feels like more of a struggle? We have to recognize today that that's often because we have other things that we want more. Honestly, there are times in our lives where our hearts desire other things over the word of God, and so we can open the scripture and it not be a delight because there are seasons when our spiritual hunger can become weak. And so how do we change that? How do we change that? Well, hunger in the spiritual realm, I believe this is different than in the natural realm. In the natural realm, the more you eat, the less hungry you get. But in the spiritual realm, the more you eat, the more hungry you get, right? The more you're in the Word of God, the more you you dig into it, the more you become hungry for it. it. It's through so often when we lose that desire, we can regain it through another spiritual discipline called prayer. Very simply, if you don't have that kind of delight in the Word of God, we ought to pray for it. We ought to ask for that delight. We ought to ask God to awaken that delight in us you see really delight in god's word is a miraculous thing and so pray for the desire to meditate on the word of god and if you lack that delight in the word don't say pastor i can't enjoy the bible i'm not a reader i don't know how i don't have that desire listen our our god is a creating god he is in the business of creating amen and so when we admit to god that man that desire is just not there right now and we pray like the psalmist did, Lord, incline my heart to your testimonies. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to gain. And so prayer is tied to meditation. It's tied to fasting. And all of these things work together to produce transformation in our lives. So you might ask, Pastor, how do I start meditating on the word? Well, electio divina, right? Reading the scripture, meditating on it, praying it, contemplating it. Here's what I would suggest this morning. I have a couple passages of Scripture here that, that you can choose from. But, but choose a, a short passage of Scripture. Don't say, you know what, I'm going to meditate on the book of Psalms today. No. Choose a, a passage of Scripture. Here are some examples that, that of, of a passage that you could dig into. And meditating, meditate on it by pondering its meaning. Read it over and over and over again until you understand it. Look at each word and look at each phrase individually. Write, write some personal notes about, man, this is how this applies to my life. Begin to apply it, right? And finally, when you've chewed on the word of God enough, begin to pray it, right? Pray what you've learned. Say, God, help me to apply this. Holy Spirit, would you make this a reality in my life? You see, it's all too easy to read the scriptures religiously and then forget what they said. 
You ever been there? I did my reading this morning. What did you read? I don't know. (laughs) But when you meditate on and you pray a portion of what you read, you become what James calls doers of the word and not hearers only. Meditation works like a mirror so that you can be like the one who looks into the perfect law. It's the law of liberty and perseveres. That we would be no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. And we will be blessed in the doing. Would you stand with me this morning? Church, I want to encourage you to move into the spiritual discipline. If it's not a part of your life already, let's begin this week. Because here's what happens when we begin to meditate on the Word of God. It no longer becomes drudgery because your eyes are fixed upon the glorious goal, which is godliness. God is changing you through His Word. You will look forward to reading the Scripture, I guarantee you. For it's there where you meet with Jesus and you become changed. And so as we close today, here's what I want you to do. I want you to to listen and meditate on the words of this song. I want you to to, to take it in this morning. And I want you to ask even in this moment, Holy Spirit, would you give me that desire? If you say, Pastor, I don't have that desire. He desires to give you that desire. He wants you to be that blessed man or that blessed woman, but it comes by spending time in his word and time with him. And so listen to the words of this song as we close today. Let's meditate on it. Let's receive from the Lord even in this moment.